You've survived another week. Thank you for listening, downloading, and supporting the Black Man with a Gun Show. This week, we're talking about silencers, suppressors, and the NFA. This is episode number 518. This is the Conscientious Weekly Podcast that talks about firearms and things of interest to the gun community. Don't let the name scare you. This is the pro-fun, pro-gun show with history, commentary, news, interviews from all over America. Hi, my name is Ken Blanchard, and I've been a gun rights activist since 1991. And you just discovered the show with over 1.7 million downloads with celebrity guests, new products, and good people making a difference. After John Wayne leads us in the Pledge of Allegiance, let's get this party started. I pledge allegiance to the flag of the United States of America and to the republic for which it stands, one nation under God, indivisible, with liberty and justice for all. I ain't going to tell you what time it is, but I got no business being up right now. But I made a promise to you in my head and in my heart that I would put out a show for you consecutively, continually, consistently, persistently. And I'm going to do it. The house is quiet. Everybody's asleep. The dog's over there passing gas that's making my eyes water. But here I be. You and me. If it wasn't old dark 30 and I had some sleep, I might have remembered who asked me to talk about NFA and trust. So remind me when I'm saying again who it was who asked. But because you ask, I went out and looked for somebody who could talk about silencers and suppressors. You know, any silencer is defined in Section 921 of Title 18 of the United States Code of the ATF, also known as the National Firearms Act. Yeah. My first guest is from Silencer Co. His name is Jason Schauble. None but the truth. And it's coming up next. Jason Shaba, welcome to the Black Man with the Gun Show. Well, wow, thanks for having me. Silencerco, silencers, suppressors, mufflers for guns, man. That's what you're doing, right? Yeah, our goal is to, uh, to make every every gun quiet. Our, our internal motto is guns don't have to be loud. And, um, you know, it, we, we make about 70% of the silencers that are made in this country. Um, so I think we're well on our way to doing that with over a million in private hands at this time. How long has the company been around? The company's been around nine years. Um, it's grown, you know, over 100% year over year. It's been an Inc. 500 on more than one occasion and Inc. 5000 when it wasn't Inc. 500 in terms of, uh, you know, growth. So I, I came on board in 2014 and we've grown 600% since then. Uh, we're about 260 employees and we're located in West Valley, Utah. All right, cool. The history of suppressors and silencers goes back to Theodore Roosevelt's time and and the, and the, and the inventor where do you guys take it from there? 
Well, when they were first regulated in 1934 um, and when the $200 tax was established, um, you know, there wasn't really a boom in silencers uh, until, you know, the 80s and 90s for commercial use anyway, um, when material science, CNC machining, and the real value of $200 um, all progressed, right? Uh, $200 in 1934 was like $3,500 today. So that's a pretty prohibitive tax on an, on an individual consumer good, whereas $200 today, while not something to sniff at, is significantly less. Um, but it's really the advances in uh, material science and CNC machining that allowed these to be mass produced. And um, until recently, the ability to buy off of a trust um, to streamline what is already a lengthy process um, that made it, you know, made it easy to buy um, and, and became mainstream. I do remember in 2005, 2006, you couldn't go to SHOT Show and see a silencer company in a booth. It just wasn't allowed. Even the firearms industry as a whole um, did not embrace uh, sound suppression at that time for the practical benefits for the everyday recreational shooter and hunter. Um, today, you know, that is not the case. Um, today is legal for, uh, for ownership in 42 states and legal for hunting in 40 um, and honestly, we've been a big part of that. Our founders, Josh Waldron and Jonathan Schultz, firmly believe that getting the word out about the benefits of sound suppression um, and the benefits of the technology um, has been, you know, making more people aware is the single biggest thing we can do in educating the market on how to buy. And so you'll see a lot of our materials and a lot of our marketing are built around that concept. Oh, cool, man. Explain that gun trust piece for me, if you can. So uh, before, there was recently a rule change last year that went into effect July 13th, 2016. But before that time, you had a choice between buying as an individual or buying on a trust or LLC. The benefit of buying on a, a trust or LLC is you could put other people on your trust and they could all use the item. Um, the NFA item, whether it's a short barrel rifle, short barrel shotgun, or a silencer, um, that allowed, you know, a wider use. It made it very clear what happened uh, when the primary user died. It just passed on to the trust. Um, but also, there were certain municipalities where the buying as an individual, you were required to obtain chief law enforcement officer sign-off. That essentially meant that the chief law enforcement officer in your area had to vouch for you. That's a legacy requirement from a long time ago when everybody knew everybody. There are still a lot of uh, chief law enforcement officers last year that wouldn't buy, uh, wouldn't allow, or sorry, wouldn't sign off on the buying of silencers by people who they didn't know, uh, whereas the trust did not have that requirement um, until, until last year. So an individual would have to go through fingerprints and photographs and a chief law enforcement officer sign off, but a trust the responsible person on a trust did not have to go through all that. He went through a 4473 um, or a, a NICS check um, and then was able to pick up his item after the wait. So the tax hasn't changed. Um, the rule changed last year, and what essentially is now is that everyone on a trust and anyone who buys it as an individual has to go through that same fingerprint and photograph process, but there is a Clio notification instead of a Clio sign-off. So basically you have to notify the chief law enforcement officer that you are purchasing a silencer. If that chief law enforcement officer has a problem, he is supposed to notify the ATF 
that I don't think this person should have that for whatever reason. Um, so it's kind of the difference between a shall, you know, shall sign versus, uh, you know, giving the, the authorities the discretion to determine that they don't want to sign. Nice, nice. The newest thing you have, the Maxim pistol, how's that been received? Uh, it's been received great. I mean, we sold out our whole capacity uh, last year uh, when we were at a, a channel show, and we know that a lot of distributors and dealers have wait lists for it. Our intention is to be shipping that product as early as this month. Um, all along with the Maxim, it's kind of the culmination of we built a full line of silencers. We are the top seller in all of those categories. Uh, we wanted to, to combine the silencer and the firearm into one. Uh, no one had ever really done that with a nine millimeter pistol before without using special ammunition. I mean, the Russians did something, the Chinese did something, but they always required an underpowered subsonic round that didn't, you know, in order to accomplish that objective. And our goal was to create a duty handgun that, you know, was able to take 10,000 rounds of punishment and work reliably just so that the choice a person had to make was between, you know, any other quality handgun and a quality handgun that was quiet and holsterable. Um, we believe we've achieved that. I mean, I shot one again this morning. Um, our final testing is complete. And right now we're, we're, we're making all of the pieces and assembling them and really waiting on forms right now. Uh, to clear, which a form three to our distribution channels about 41 days on average to be approved. Um, so the Maxim nine, you know, we just look at that as the, not, not only is it a great new innovation, but it is the beginning of a series of products that we will have come out where the silencer and the firearm are combined together to make the overall length and size and weight shorter. Nice, man. That's nice. I was around when the Glock first popped up with the federal police officers, and that was a big controversial thing. Everybody was talking about the plastic gun, and now we don't even think about it again. So this is like being around twice and watching something else pop up that's kind of new. Well, we look at it that way. We look at it like the Glock of its time. I mean, if a police officer can pull his pistol out of his holster and not have it be blow his ears out the police officer doesn't have the luxury of being able to put hearing protection in when he feels like it sometimes the military member does not they don't know when they're going to get in a gunfight um so we feel that it has utility on that front and also on personal defense um you know firing indoors in your home you know you we don't want people to be in those situations but the simple reality is is that many people face those situations all from an indoor range or a home defense scenario or a law enforcement scenario where such a product might be really useful. Um, and we know that initially some people will, will not like this or that about it, but what they can't ultimately say is that it's not an, you know, an innovation, a true leap forward in technology, unlike a lot of the things that we see where, you know, somebody puts out a new gun because it has a better trigger than the last version of that gun that they put out. Absolutely. You guys actually suppress shotguns too, right? We did. Uh, we suppressed the shotgun with the Salvo. That was our flagship product project in 2014. Um, and much like the Maxim 9, we wanted to make sure that when we did it, it wasn't purpose-built for one particular thing. We wanted it to work on inertia-driven, pump-action, semi-auto. Um, we wanted it to work with as wide a variety of ammunition and platforms as possible. Um, and we achieved that objective. We've sold thousands of Salvos 
Um, and different people use them for lots of different things. The, the ability to make it shorter and longer, um, you know, has been well received by our consumers. And really the salvo represented the first time we made a, you know, a truly modular silencer, um, which was then followed by the Osprey Micro. I mean, we, it all goes back to the Osprey. One of the first products we made was the first rectangular silencer made, right? So when you look at all sil- most silencers are round. When we departed from round and then we departed from modular with the Salvo and the Osprey Micro, we really learned a lot that enabled us to get to where Maxim is. Maxim, without, without deviating from round in the first place or going into that modular type design where you can take it apart to clean it, you can make it different sizes. That's where we learned a ton about what you know the materials could stand up to what still worked from a sound suppression perspective and that's how we arrived where we are today and we're continue to apply those kinds of concepts to our future maxim products nice i actually know a police officer who lost his um hearing shooting from his car and uh, he's still suffering from like vertigo and some other issues now that's like a big thing man if you have to shoot from your car that sound doesn't go everywhere so uh hats off to you for that I've I've had to shoot inside a vehicle before myself. Uh, I distinctly remember that, and you will likely see in some of our videos that are coming out to promote this product. We have one of our videos, we actually ran through a lot of the scenarios where, you know, it would be really useful to have a silencer. You know, you're on horseback on the range, and you run across a rattlesnake. You, again, you're not going to be like, oh, let me grab my hearing protection that I didn't bring with me, or a police officer inside a warehouse, or a a contractor inside a vehicle. So one of the videos we have coming out actually runs through a lot of the optimal scenarios for where something like that might be useful. Yeah, somehow we got stuck with that thing about being an assassin's tool and, and it took a long time for you guys to, to overcome that, but you've done a good job with it. Well, thank you. I mean, that's really that's the biggest part of the market education, whether we're talking with consumers or we're talking with channel partners or we're talking with congressmen and senators even. Um, you know, they they ask the question, well, doesn't more silencers mean um, there's going to be more crime? And when you explain to them that in the ATF's own data, in their published data on their 41F decision and in the recently published Turk White paper that was published in the Washington Post about two months ago, the ATF itself admitted that they have no record of legally owned silencers being used in crime in the last decade, which is as far back as they really go. They do have records of people who own silencers committing crime, but not necessarily committing crime with those silencers. You know, they get vehicular manslaughter or, you know, drug distribution, but they're not. There's this case that's made by people who don't like silencers that people who legally own them, if we make a lot more of them, if something like the Hearing Protection Act passes, that all of a sudden everybody will have them and there'll be all this crime. But that's not really the case. And the other argument that's made is, well, it'll make gunshots too quiet and people won't know what happens when the reality is silencers really just are about making the sound of the gunshot significantly lower than it was, but still loud enough to hear that the line that we look at is 139 decibels. That's the line where you're not doing permanent hearing damage to your ears with repeated exposure. And so every one of our products is 139 decibels or less on commonly available platforms using commonly available ammunition. And we find that that's the right, the right way to go. But a car door slamming is like 118. You're still a lot louder on an algorithmic scale at 139. Wow. I didn't know that. Are you yourself an inventor or engineer? Um, I am not. 
Um, I, my first, you know, I, obviously I worked a lot of little jobs, but my first major job was in the military. I was a, uh, a commander in, uh, within the force recon community and the infantry community. And then I worked at Remington on, uh, sniper rifles and shotguns and stuff like that. And I have been involved in ammunition projects. And then I worked in, uh, long range optics. And then I came over here to work in sound suppressors. I really like being around making things and inventing things. Um, I am not a degree engineer. I don't know my way around CAD, but I, I understand guns. I've, I was that kid in the library when he was young, reading about guns in war and thinking, you know, I, I got to do what I always wanted to do in my life um, when I was in the military. And then uh, ever since then, I've just been trying to make things that I think are, are tools, which is what, you know, ultimately separates us from the apes, um, making tools that are useful to people who, who love shooting. Which division of recon were you in? I was in uh, Second Force Reconnaissance on the East Coast in Camp Lejeune. Okay. All right. Cool. I was making sure. I was just saying, man, maybe I ran into you somewhere, but I'll I'll figure it out we eventually. We know it's a small small service. Yeah, it is. That is too cool, man. All right. So you got you working with suppressors. What was it like being in D.C. talking to these cats here? I, I wanted to catch you while you were here because I live up the street. Well, I mean, what the best part of doing something we did a we did a fly-in as part of the National Shooting Sports Foundation. One of the best things about doing that is getting people who are experts in their field to speak with congressmen and senators who have to who hear an enormous amount of noise, but they don't often get to talk to an expert. Um, I had some conversations in particular with one Democratic senator where he was able to ask a lot of the questions that he wanted to ask without a lot of the politics involved. He wanted to really know what does the data say? What does the product actually do? And he was a hunter and a, and a shooter, and, and it was good to have that conversation so that he could be well informed when uh, he had to consider legislation relative to uh, sound suppression. Right. Hmm. So where can folks find out more information about Silencer Co.? So our website, www.silencerco.com, um, we have information on everything from product to how to buy, which we find is you know, still you know, where it's legal, how to buy, what are the benefits. Um, that's usually the place where most people go. Um, in addition, we put out a lot of content. We probably put out a lot of educational, product-related, and even lifestyle content more than almost any other company in the firearms industry. Um, we take our our marketing very seriously because it is an education effort at its core in everything that we do. Um, we do it all in house. We make our own videos. We do. We're very active on social media because, and we're also very active in what we call adjacent and reach spaces. We'll go on hunts with country music singers, professional football players, um, you know, a wide, you know, uh, extreme sports athletes, a wide variety of people so that we can potentially get the message out that silencers are legal and that they are beneficial and that they are not truly what negative perceptions of them are um, so that we can reach more people and have them understand that this is a mainstream thing. A lot of hunters and shooters enjoy not having to wear hearing protection. They enjoy having situational awareness while they hunt. They enjoy hunting with their children who may not like the loud noise of firearms and passing that tradition on um, you know, generation to generation. Uh, we often run into the, you know, the, the people who are anti-gun and they will always, 
you know, be anti-gun accessories. But at the end of the day, there's a great portion of this country where, you know, firearms are an important part of the cultural fabric of, of growing up. Um, I live in Texas. Um, I've lived all throughout the Southeast, but I grew up in New England. In New England, firearms were very much verboten, even though many of the major firearm manufacturers actually reside in New England. Uh, but when you start living down in the South and Southwest, I mean, everybody is armed. Everybody hunts. Everybody really understands that it's not nearly as politically polarizing an issue um, in some of those places. For real. I've asked you a whole bunch of stuff. Anything I missed that I should have asked? Um. Well, I mean, I'll hit the Parent Protection Act a little bit if you'd like. Sure. Um, you know, there's some there's some pending legislation that essentially would regulate silencers differently than they are today. Um, when you look at how silencers are regulated, it's it's pretty extreme. It's the hardest consumer product to buy. You know, pretty much of any consumer product. You don't have to do fingerprints and photographs and wait nine months and pay two hundred dollar. You know penalty essentially for buying any other consumer product that I'm aware of. Uh, we would like that to be not, you know, not unregulated. We understand, you know, what the legal opinions say and what the law says, but there is room for them to be regulated like a firearm. You should be able to go into a store and buy something like a sound suppressor that is not inherently dangerous and, you know, walk out of it, walk out of that store with it, much like you would a pistol or a rifle or a shotgun it's not any more dangerous than those things. Um, and it, yet it is treated as such and has been for you know 80 years. So the Hearing Protection Act seeks to deregulate that item. Um, we obviously are big supporters of that legislation as are other silencer manufacturers um, because we believe that there's, there's 320 to 30 million firearms out there, yet only 1 million to one and a quarter million silencers and that doesn't need to be that way there are a far greater population of people who can enjoy the benefits of sound suppression um if they were to make a, a simple legal change and we think that the market would become up to 10 times or more bigger than it is today if you just made that simple change right right all right skipper thank you man appreciate you taking time out to talk to little old me and uh, I'm, I'm looking for big things because I'm actually want to get the uh, the Maxim Nine when it's my turn. Well, and and that's the other thing about the Hearing Protection Act is all those eight states or or districts that don't currently allow private ownership of such items, like Washington D.C. Um, all of those those would then be regulated like firearms are in those places. Um, that would be allow. There's a lot of pent up demand in states like California for all the. For all the controversy about California and its firearms laws, there's a lot of hunters and shooters who navigate those laws and enjoy the same recreational benefits as those of us in the South and Southeast. So, um, you know, we believe that that would open up a lot of those states where there's a lot of pent-up demand and people like yourself would be able to enjoy those benefits. All right. We're Semper Fi, brother. I'll talk to you soon. Semper Fi. Thank you. Thank you. This portion of the show is sponsored by CrossbreedHolsters.com. Crossbreed Holsters has gained national recognition as a maker of the best and most functional concealment holsters available on the market today. Each holster is handcrafted to ensure your firearm is safe and secure while carrying, combined with the best customer service in the industry. Visit CrossbreedHolsters.com. 
Well, all right. I'm hoping that you got something out of that last conversation I had. Well, man, Jason, I know I learned a couple of things in there. If you have any questions, feel free to send me a message. Go to blackmailthegun.com and you can hit the talk button or you can send me an email to blackmailthegun at gmail.com and I will get the answer to you as soon as I can find one. Things are going well. Um, the podcast is still growing. I'm getting a chance to speak to the uh, National Association of African-American Gun Owners here, their um, Maryland chapter here shortly in about two weeks. It's a pretty cool thing how things go full circle and folks don't even know who I am and I've been doing this for 20 years. It's kind of cool. The Gun Podcast Network that I started is about to pick up a new person and I'm working on the back end when I get a minute to add his show to the network. So there's going to be uh, some hunting and outdoor stuff for all you folks who are into that. I'm hoping that you are because I always learn from all the cool people who listen to this show. You guys enrich my life. Nobody can know everything, right? Next up is Michael J. Woodland talking about uh, drawing slow. Take it away, brother. Thank you, Ken. And welcome to another Tips and Review segment. I am Michael Woodland of m-wtactical.com, and today we're going to discuss slow draw. Last week, we discussed the topic of slow fire, but let's go further with the discussion of drawing your firearm slowly when training. In my opinion, This will help you in so many ways, especially if you have someone with you observing your actions or you can do it yourself by recording your own actions on your cell phone or camcorder. Your goal is to eliminate any movements that will add time to you getting on target. So, in other words, we want your movements to be smooth with no hang-ups. Like we say in the military, slow is smooth and smooth is fast. You can do this one or two ways. The first way is simply getting down the muscle memory with reaching for your firearm where it is carried on your person and slowly pulling it out, bringing it to your line of sight. It may be easier if you designate a target for aiming. Do this drill a few hundred times and you will build a pattern that will become second nature when you need to pull out your firearm, whether in competition or real life. The second way is to do the same drill, but under a timer. After you did this drill a few hundred times slow and you are more than confident on the placement of your hand on the firearm and bringing it to your line of sight, set the timer to a designated time, let's say three seconds, and see if you beat the second buzzer. If you take your time and do not beat the buzzer, that right there is the point where you should set the stride for and take the timer to five seconds and work your way down. Set the timer for how fast you want to train to bring it out, but you have to be honest with yourself with focusing on the front sight before the second timer. If you do not get it at first, set the timer at a higher time and keep practicing and the time will come down. When you feel confident with just pulling the firearm out fast, try your skill at doing it with live rounds and see how you do. Just remember, that a lot of the pros who shoot been doing this craft for over 10 years. So they put in the repetition and training to be fast on the draw. 
If you send me a video of you doing this drill with recorded improvements over a week's time, we at M-W Tactical will select the better video and send that person a free shirt from one of our sponsors. Tune in next week as we tackle another area of marksmanship for another tips and review segment. Thank you for all those who follow and support the M-W Tactical Facebook page. If you haven't done so, look us up on Facebook and hit the like button and join in on the many discussions that are taking place. If you are more into photos, follow me on Instagram at MJ Woodland, where you can get an up-close and personal involvement of my daily life and involvement at a shooting range. If you would like to read more about us, do so by going to www.m-wtactical.com where you can easily connect with us on any of the previously mentioned social platforms while looking at pictures, viewing future classes, emailing us, or even listening to the current week of the Black Man with a Gun podcast. For those who want a more direct approach, just call us at 803-250-1256 and let's discuss whatever is on your mind from shooting classes or just inviting us out to your next upcoming event. Until next week, keep shooting, keep practicing, and have fun. Back to you, Ken. All right, Michael. Thank you, man. Just a quick reminder that I'll be speaking on uh, April 26th at 7 p.m. at the uh, Cultural Center's Multipurpose Room at the University of Maryland and is being sponsored by the National African American Gun Association. I'll be talking about uh, the history of U.S. gun control in the African American community. All are welcome. At the time I'm putting this pod it. I want to wish all Christians out there a very happy Easter. It's pretty hard to believe that in an obscure village in Palestine, almost 2,000 years ago, a child was born in a stable. That he lived in obscurity until he was 30, then he began a public ministry that lasted three years. He was destined to change the course of history. He was a kindly person, and we're told that the common people heard him gladly. And he taught as one who had authority, and not as a teacher of the law. It soon became apparent, however, that he was making shocking and startling statements about himself. He began to identify himself as far more than a remarkable teacher or prophet. He began to say clearly that he was God. He made his identity the focal point of his teaching. The all-important question he put to those who followed him was, Who do you say I am? When one of his disciples answered and said, You are the Christ, the Son of the living God, this guy was not shocked nor did he rebuke him. On the contrary, he commended him. He made the claim explicitly, and his hearers got the full impact of his words. We are told the Jews tried all the harder to kill him. Not only was he breaking the Sabbath, but he was even calling God his own father, making himself equal with God. Very blasphemous statement at the time. On another occasion, he said, I am and my father are one. And almost immediately, the same folks tried to kill him again. But he asked them for which good work they wanted to kill him for. And they said, we are not stoning you for any of those, but for the blasphemy, because you, a mere man, claim to be God. Hmm. Does anybody know who I'm talking about? Religion and faith and all that stuff is dogged a lot today made fun of 
a lot older. I know. But the meaning of Easter is Jesus of Nazareth, the Christ, his victory over death. His resurrection on Sunday symbolizes the eternal life that is granted to all who believe in him. The meaning of Easter also symbolizes the complete verification of all that Jesus preached and taught during his three-year ministry. If he had not risen from the dead, if he had merely died and not been resurrected, he would have been considered just another teacher or rabbi. But his resurrection changed all that and gave final and irrefutable proof that he was really the Son of God and that he had conquered death once and for all. You know, Easter didn't always symbolize Christ's resurrection from the dead, and the meaning of Easter was quite different than from what Christians celebrate today. The Feast of Easter was originally a pagan celebration of renewal and rebirth. Celebrated in the early spring, it honored the pagan Saxon god, Eastry. This is how the rabbit, eggs, and fertility rites got into it. When the early missionaries converted the Saxons to Christianity, the holiday, since it fell around the same time, as a traditional memorial of Christ's resurrection from the dead, it was merged with this pagan celebration and became known as Easter. Now, the meaning of Easter, for millions of Christians, is that of honoring and recognizing Jesus Christ's resurrection from the dead and his glorious promises of eternal life for all who believe in him. Don't know if you believe or not, but that's all I'm going to say about that. This show is part of the Gun Podcast Network. Hey, that's it for this week. Yeah, I know it was a little short, but maybe you got something out of it. I'm hoping that you did. Either way, let me know what you think of this episode. And have a happy Easter, even if you don't celebrate it. But now you know. Just like you know that I love you. And there's not a darn thing you can do about it. Shalom, baby.